so much for joining me on a very special episode of the Hit Podcast. I was able to get a meeting with Reverend Andy Bales, who is someone, uh, when I throw to him and I introduce him as a professional hero of mine, I, I don't use that term lightly. We're committed here at the Hit Podcast to trying to stick to that brief, bite-sized sort of a format. And so as our conversation went a little bit long, we're going to go ahead and break it over two episodes. So without further ado, welcome to part one of what will be a two-part series with Reverend Andy Bales. Welcome to the HIT Podcast, HIT, Human Resources, Insurance and Technology. I'm your host, Toby Kennedy. As always, we are dropping into your feed every week on Tuesdays. This week's episode is brought to you by Montage Insurance Solutions, and that'll be the fastest introduction you ever hear me do because I am so excited to get into today's episode. We have with us someone who, and Reverend Andy Bales, I do not use this term lightly, is a professional hero of mine. Reverend Andy Bales, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Uh, so if if folks out there are, are unfamiliar, um, Andy, do you mind just give me a quick overview of uh, uh, your professional CVs, the, the chairs you've sat in and how you find yourself here today? I'm the president and CEO of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles on Skid Row, uh, largest mission in the country and the oldest in L.A. And we welcome in 1,350 precious souls every night into our three satellites. Uh, downtown Union Rescue Mission uh, is the largest shelter of its kind. We also have Hope Gardens Family Center out in Silmar, which has about 300 precious moms and kids and senior ladies in permanent housing. Uh, the moms and kids are in transitional housing. The senior ladies are in permanent housing. And uh, we have Angelus House in South LA, which is bridge housing for families. And we have about 300 precious souls there. And uh, we never say no to a family. We always say yes. And miraculously, we depend completely on private funds because uh, we just say no to the government funds that require the harm reduction model where alcohol and drugs freely flow. We don't want that kind of chaos for our moms and kids and families. And uh, we focus on transforming lives, helping people get back to work and become productive members of society and connecting with community and we think that's the sustainable plan for addressing homelessness in the future. Yeah, we're as an Angelino, we're we're so lucky to have you. And I've known you uh, in a professional capacity for gosh, I don't know, 12, 14 years. But you've been in this leadership role with the mission for seventeen or eighteen years now, right? Uh, almost nineteen. Yeah, yeah, and you are one of. And I say one of to give me some wiggle room in case I'm forgetting someone. The single most committed leaders I've ever come across in my life. Do you mind talking to me a little bit about your philosophy on leadership and the mission and teams and what you guys do? Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm a model because I don't know. 
if I want to uh, encourage anybody to be <laughs> relentless like me and 24-7 receiving calls at home and calling Ubers for people and sending them to the mission, but but that's who I am. Uh, my team has become a great team and uh, I've depended on them a lot to uh, help me out and they've adopted the same approach. All I have to do now is when I get a call from somebody in need, I alert our team and they send an Uber and welcome them uh, into the mission. And as I said, we never say no, we always say yes. And uh, we have the strongest team we've ever had somehow that's been built around me. And uh, <laughs> we, we are, a, a force to be reckoned with. We, I guess we touched the lives of 9,000 precious souls last year. That's about 12% of Angelinos struggling with homelessness. And uh, it's heartbreaking to know that our city and county and state, federal government are failing so badly to address homelessness because they believe in a they believe in spending billions of dollars of taxpayer money to create very expensive, subpar, dirty, crime-filled, drug-addicted, drug-addiction-filled housing that allows people to merely survive and, and even die of addiction. Um, and that's just an unsustainable plan. We. We will never address homelessness in with their plan. There's not enough money in the world to carry out their plan, so they end up helping a few while they leave tens of thousands on the streets. And uh, so we speak up a lot about the failure of our government and the need to move to a recovery-based program with mental health services, case management, and helping people turn their lives around. We believe in turnarounds. We believe in comebacks. We believe in miracles. And I work with about hundreds. I, I work with, you know, staff that 25% of our staff are former guests who've turned their lives around. So the proof, proof is all around me that it can be done. And, uh, we believe in never giving up on someone and and always believing that somebody can turn their life around. Yeah, when you say, you know, um, that the, the big and expensive stuff that only takes care of a few and then that leaves so many thousands and you say, we never say no, I just want to unpack that. When you say we never say no, what you mean is we give them a bet, right? Right, we give them an immediate bet. And that's what I believe in, an immediate bed, 24-7 welcoming triage shelter of some kind. And we need to shift, not only adding recovery and mental health services and case management, but we need to shift to innovative, imaginative, affordable, immediate housing, whether that's 3D printed concrete homes or 
tiny homes, but more in the range of 300 square feet or prefab homes or mobile homes or container homes, but we can't continue to spend 800,000 to a million per unit per person so that people can live in subpar housing. If you read recent articles, one guy in the LA Times said, I didn't, I never felt subhuman till I moved in here where the wow. elevators aren't working, the, the heat's not working, the water's not running, the crime is, you know, running rampant, the drugs are flowing. Um, we, we deserve, people deserve to be treated much better than our system is treating them. And if anyone listening, you know, has any uh, uncertainty on the authority with which you speak about Los Angeles' homelessness, uh, you've been so literally on the front lines. And when people talk about giving life and limb, you've given your professional life to this cause and you've literally given limb. Yeah, um, things are so bad. Conditions are so bad on Skid Row and they're worse than ever right now. When I came, there were 2,000 people on the streets. We worked together to get it down to about 1,000. After the recession, things exploded. After the pandemic, things exploded. That um, there's not enough toilets. People use the streets as their restrooms. And people get um, UTIs waiting on bathrooms to open up. Uh, can you imagine being somebody who, who's hoping that a bathroom will open up so they can go to the restroom? And so years ago, I had a wound boot on and was almost healed, but I came in contact with human waste, which is prevalent on the streets of Skid Row. And I got E. coli, staph, and strep flesh-eating diseases in my leg. And uh, it took about two years, but I lost my right leg. And then trying to get on, get around on the other leg for a few years, uh, wore it out and I lost both legs. So, uh, you know, the conditions on Skid Row are really only responsible for me losing one leg, but, but eventually I lost both legs. And I'm on and off in a wheelchair. I wear prosthetics, but half a year and then I get wounds and then I'm, back in a wheelchair like I am now. But uh, I once said when I lost the first leg and the city declared a shelter emergency, I said I'd lose both legs if it would actually cause the city to take action <laughs> and get get people off the streets immediately. And who knows, maybe, maybe the tide will turn and the city and county and state will wake up and... Uh, start immediately getting people off the streets like they do in New York. New York has nearly as many people struggling with homelessness, but they only have 3,400 on the streets. LA has 75,000 people who are homeless, LA mm. County, but 50,000 plus are on the streets. Over 70% of the people devastated by homelessness are on the streets of LA because of our failed policies and practice. That, that number is staggering 
to me. Uh, and before I even unpack that, when you were talking about, uh, you know, your legs and your commitment and saying, I, I give, uh, you know, both legs, if, if it meant anything that it, it reminds me of your commitment. And just because again, I, I, I want to herald some of the things about you that just are so amazing to me. Uh, you set a world record, Andy. Yeah, I've had a couple, but, but uh, <laughs> talking about the, the kidney, <laughs> the one official one is that, um, uh, after my kidney transplant, I came back to work within three weeks. And I guess normal normal is like three months. And, <laughs> and maybe somebody could come back in six weeks. But I, I was so committed to getting back to work, I came back to work in three weeks. And I came back to work 16 days after a quadruple bypass. But... <laughs> But uh, also the day after I lost my second leg, I showed up at work and Steve Lopez was along from the LA Times to unveil our new building. Oh no, it was the final beam on our on our new beating, uh, building was being put up in An Angela's house. And uh, I, I really thought I was invincible yeah, I mean, you're uh, but, pretty darn close, brother. <laughs> I, I thought so, but um, I got I got sick with cryptococcus meningitis about eight or ten weeks ago. I guess it was August 21st, and it killed me. I mean, I've never come closer to death, and I was in the hospital nearly six weeks and a week of therapy. And it took everything out of me. So I had to make one last comeback. Uh, and I had to I had to learn to walk again on my prosthetics. I uh, when it hit me, I couldn't I couldn't walk without falling and I couldn't crawl without falling. And my wife says I was delirious for two weeks, but I don't remember. <laughs> and and uh so I thought I was invincible till till that hit me. It was the it was the toughest thing I've ever been through. Well, and speaking of tough things you've been through, you know, you don't just talk the talk and walk the walk. I mean, you've you've spent time on the streets, right? Yeah. I've, every New Year's Eve I used to go out and this will give you an idea. I used to go out and spend the night on the streets and I used to do it in the Skid Row area and then I started doing it at City Hall and I'd say 30,000 plus one you know God on bless. New Year's Eve 40,000 plus one on New Year's Eve now I'd have to say over 50,000 plus one if I stayed out but uh but I don't know how people do it I I had a wheelchair at the time I arranged to have a hotel room because I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to use the bathrooms, uh, how to use the bathroom from the wheelchair. So I rented a hotel room just so I could go in the lobby and use the restroom at the hotel. And I, you know, one night I got really sick to my stomach and I was back and forth all night. And I got home that night or that morning and collapsed. And during the night I had given that hotel room to a woman we found on the streets. Shocking. But I got home. I got home and after one night, 
I collapsed. I, I don't know how people survive even one night on the streets. I can tell you, I can't. And that's what we're allowing to happen. Tens of thousands of people to suffer and struggle on the streets. And we're losing six people per day uh, to complications of homelessness, um, mostly overdose deaths because we've lost sight of a focus on recovery and drug prevention. And we've let the cartels make their money in rain and the gangs sell the drugs from the cartels without repercussions. And we can't continue to tolerate things as they are. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of how things are, uh, I've heard you talk about, I think it was a, a Forbes article that mentioned it's it's the roughest city in Los Angeles or sorry, excuse me, in the country. Uh, no, uh, Skid Row is the most violent neighborhood in the U.S., according to Forbes magazine. And the adjacent neighborhood is number two in the top 10 right. and only getting worse only getting more violent, um, unfortunately. And why would a city of LA's stature allow 5,000 human beings to live in a 53 square block area? Why would they allow women to suffer the way they do on the streets, uh, molested and assaulted? Why? would they leave so many people unprotected and and why would they keep adding to the misery by building more of that kind of permanent supportive harm reduction housing just in this neighborhood why wouldn't they have housing available in every neighborhood and why wouldn't they uh had recovery services. All right. So we have to find somewhere to break and somewhere to stop. So that will be all the time we have for you on this week's episode of the hit podcast. Join us for the second part of the conversation. We're going to pick up part two next week. Right now we're going to break it there. We're going to stick to our brief bite-sized format. So uh, join us next week as we pick back up where we left off with the great uh, Reverend Andy Bales in a two-part series. That is it for part one. That is it for this week. Until next week, make this the best week yet. <laughs> <laughs>